Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed, as before, all the works of devil, illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this. Let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May this service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand. Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. The Book of Matthew 5, 45, and 48 That you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We know that this commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all times and generations, and the commandment is addressed by Christ strictly to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge over themselves the authority of a person that is sent by God have never had any part to the inheritance that is contained in this commandment, and it is doubtful that they will ever be able to. <clears throat> and the reason is because this commandment will not be familiar to them. You can read this place but not understand it, that this is a command, and where it says that you may be where it says, let it be, or that it may be, God created the world using these words, so that as nothing happens uh, without it. And so people will always try to avoid God's commands, but that will not work. As it relates to fulfilling this commandment or this commanding order to be vigilant over the word of God within your heart, as God is vigilant over his spoken word within the temple of our body, we stop to study the following question, what specific goals does the righteousness of God pursue that we are called to collaborate with within our heart? And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant, where we in the death of our Lord Jesus died through the law, for the law, so that in the new tablets of the covenant, 
symbolizing the resurrection of Christ, we can receive justification so that we can live for the one that died for us and resurrected. So that we can obtain confirmation of our salvation in new tablets of the covenant, symbolizing the resurrection of Christ so that we can provide God with the proper foundation to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. Therefore, the covenant of peace in the heart of a warrior in prayer is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God that is spoken by his messengers. I will remind us that God's faith is information that comes from the preached words of God, the mouth of God in the mouth of the person whom he has sent. These are not emotions or feelings or faith, uh, but what I know based on the information I receive in the preached word, not something that just came into my mind or something I dreamed about or something that I was told uh, via prophecies. Here it's talking about the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God. God's faith is not what is being prophesied to you. A prophecy can be faithful, but a prophecy will never be able to be greater than the word of God that came out of God's mouth. If God gives a prophecy or something, that does not mean that he has placed this word, the word of God, independence of that prophecy. True prophetic word is the word of God that comes out of the mouth of God. This is information. And when we depend on information and not what we what we feel only then do we obtain the ability to collaborate our faith with God's faith that is obey our faith to God's faith God's faith is the general our faith is the uh, soldier who is voluntarily obeying waiting for the command as soon as he hears the Word of God his heart is already prepared to immediately fulfill and not think to too deeply about the price he would need to pay uh, for it. He may have to lose his life or his authority, whatever it may be. The thing is, any command of God's words is a loss of something worldly. This is the loss of worldly glory, worldly uh, things such as what the flesh has. And so this is so that the spirit can have fellowship with God. By what science do we examine ourselves as to whether the peace of God rules within our heart, which identifies us as the sons of God and as the most holy of the Lord? We know that to examine your heart as to whether the peace of God is governing in it is possible by the ability to be a peacemaker. This is by the supernatural ability to be a peacemaker, which characterizes us as the sons of God. To be a peacemaker, it is necessary to bring yourself as an offering so that you can grow the fruit of the Spirit, to sow yourself as a seed in the kingdom of heaven so that you can grow the fruit of the Spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. If a person is not able to perform peace, he cannot be called a son of God, even though he is has been born from the seed of the word but if he in the seed of the word will not die 
in the death of the Lord Jesus, then he will not be able to be called a son of God. Because when a child was born in Israel, they did not immediately give him a name or call him a son. Because to call him a son is to give him a title, give him a name. They gave a child a name in the eighth day when they circumcised the child. The same thing here. When a person makes a covenant with God, will you say, yes, but I made a covenant. The thing is, we make a covenant in the format also of a deposit, as it were. We promise God that we will live, we will live with a good conscience. Our conscience doesn't, hasn't yet become perfect in God. It still needs to grow and develop into that. But God already accounts this to us as, as something that's happened, and He waits f- for the time He can give us His peace, when He can make a covenant of peace with us or to confirm this uh, covenant of peace that we've made in the baptism of water. Six signs by which we need to judge for, of our belonging to the sons of peace so that we can be called sons of God have already been subjects we've studied and we stopped to study the seventh this is by our ability to clothe our essence into the holy or the selective love of God holy that means selective not tolerant because the word holy is something that separates holy from unholy pure from impure death from life blessings and curses what separates us from our nation from the house of our Father, and from our destructive desires. This is what holiness is, or to be holy. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. And to put on love is to put on the truth of the Word of God that we have accepted and that we keep in our heart, because these words are the words of love. God in these words has demonstrated as love in his teaching and his commandments and his statutes he has reflected his love for man and when we are clothed or we clothe ourselves and we do so by confessing the faith that's in our heart with our mouth we confess and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you you which you also are called And so when we put on love, we receive the ability and opportunity to let the peace of God in the form of the Holy Spirit, who will come as ruler, as our Lord, into our heart. If the truth of the elementary teaching of Christ is there in this love of God agape, then will it be able to come there and uh, create peace until the Holy Spirit is there no peace of God will be there, we'll speak in tongues, we'll do a lot of good works, but God's peace won't be there. God's peace will only be there. So when you have a fight with your husband or your wife, or conflict, and you immediately feel that you have harmed that peace, you, you have it, but you can still fix the situation. But if you don't have that, then there's a problem. This pain then remains for a long time in the heart and your marriage becomes hell. The husband avoids the wife, the wife avoids the husband. They live under one roof, but they don't speak. This is very difficult. 
they understand that they're wrong and they need to do something, but no one knows how to fix it. Each one is expecting that the other will do something or take steps, but the other one or the other don't know how to start it because they don't understand the meaning of God's peace, that God's peace is information. It's in information that we receive, and we, re- independent of your feelings, you need to confess that information of the Word of God. You need to treat your husband and your wife as the scriptures say to do so, and begin to demonstrate this in words, however difficult they may be, however painful it may be, uh, toward your parents, your children, because the greatest pain is inflicted typically by a husband or a wife or children or parents. And then after that, then uh, maybe relatives uh, or others that are close to you. The greatest pain that we may experience are parents to children, children to parents, uh, husband to wife, wife to husband. This uh, in uh, wisdom, when uh, we look at the words of wisdom in scripture, when there's an agreement between the two and we... It, we uh, then can treat everyone else uh, within the church and other uh, properly. How can we uh, treat everyone properly when we're upset, we're bitter inside, we don't even know how to look at people, we don't have joy in our eyes, we don't have joy in our face, we don't have a uh, we don't have an openness toward others, we are filled with uh, bitterness and, and of a hard heart. And so only when we put on God's love, the truth that is in the heart, then will the Holy Spirit come as peace and will rule in our hearts. To which also you were called in one body and be thankful. And so in one body, we're not called to have peace with everyone, but only those that are in the body, with those that are in Christ. With them, are we to have peace? With the rest, it depends if it's possible. We can have peace, but if it's not possible, because in order to have peace, sometimes you need to agree with specific people, uh, with uh, forms of lawlessness, or, well, you're my brother, well, you're my father, you should understand this, you should cover for me, you should defend me, and things like that. The mother asks the daughter on the phone. Or the daughter asks for the mother, but the mother tells everyone else if she calls, tells her tell her that uh, tell her that uh, she's not home. Or <clears throat> and so sometimes uh, we try to deceive ourselves in certain things unfortunately. And so, in Scripture, the holy or selective love of God agape is presented in Scripture by the Holy Spirit in the light of seven unchanging virtues, uh, characteristics by the preached words of the apostles and prophets that, in essence, are the unchanging characteristics, the qualities of God. This is virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. And so here it's talking about love that is virtuous, uh, 
and it's virtuous in the way that it considers good the things that God considers to be good and considers evil the things God considers to be evil. And so sometimes we think we gave money to a poor person in the street, a homeless person, and, and we count this as good, but God may not see this as good because it's possible that it's a professional there in the street just taking money from people. One who receives more money a day than you do a whole month if he knows uh, how to correctly uh, make people uh, pity him. One of our brothers was ta- telling a story. He's a taxi driver. Uh, the gentleman, there was a gentleman who had 11 children and and he was saying, what beautiful children you have, the brother was telling another man. And he said, can I have this photo? Uh, because I like to the family that you have. And he gave him the family's photo that he had. Uh, this gentleman gave it to the taxi driver who's driving them. And so he then, uh, after this, started driving other people and showing this photograph to people saying that's, that it's the, his children. And to pity people. And so then by pitying people, by having them pity him, feel sorry for him, they were giving him very large tips uh, and all for the children. And so God's love is virtuous and it, it's not uh, good in the way we may understand. It comes from God's goodness and this goodness this, sometimes this goodness can be a, a feel-good thing, and sometimes it could actually be a, a form of punishment also, uh, this goodness. Uh, God's love is also has knowledge. It's not blind. Worldly love is blind, and this love is knowledgeable. It has self-control. It has perseverance. It has godliness. This love loves its brethren and uh, regards the brethren those that are born from God. And so in a specific format of the seven given characteristics of virtue that united identify the goodness of God within our heart, we have already studied six of those characteristics that we are called to demonstrate in our faith. And we will immediately begin studying the seventh. This is to demonstrate within our faith the love of God agape, which comes from brotherly love. That we were studying brotherly love that comes from godliness and now we're studying God's love, agape, God's that comes from brother love as it comes after that in the letter. Therefore, we will immediately begin studying the seventh quality. And this is not for the world, but for his own people. As it is written, Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Again, he didn't give himself, he didn't love the whole world and give himself for the whole world, but loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the words. And so I'm trying to make sure we understand it clearly, not that God loves everyone in general and he gave himself for them. No, God is selective and he loves those who love him, who are born from him. Uh, sanctifying and cleansing her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing but that she should be holy and without blemish Ephesians 5 25 through 27 we will keep in mind that all seven of the given characteristics 
that identify the heart of our Heavenly Father first contain the qualities of the remaining characteristics as they flow one from the other, they complete one the other, they strengthen one the other, and exist in one the other. Second, the given characteristics is the moral perfection that is inherent exclusively to the essence of God. As it is written, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The given characteristics are the great and precious promises that are given to us in Jesus Christ. It turns out that these characteristics are promises because if these characteristics are in us, we become as God. This is a promise. The given characteristics are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we are called to become rich. Fifth, you can only partake in the inheritance of the given characteristics by receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, by receiving the Holy Spirit as our Lord and our Master of our life. Sixth, the means that we are called to use or utilize to receive the power of the Holy Spirit is the prayer of faith that is built upon truth that is concealed within our heart. The Holy Spirit will not just come if we will not invite Him. I don't mean the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if we don't invite Him so that He be Lord and Master within our life, if you can imagine for yourself, you live in a family, and finally you grow up, you study, you get a job, you make money, you separate yourself, and you build your own uh, big, uh, beautiful home. And then you invite your parents to your house, and not so that they visit you, but you invite them and tell them, I want that you be the owners of this house, just as you were in your own home when I was growing up. Of course, according to scripture, this is not possible. God doesn't want our our physical parents to come into our house and be masters of our house. It's talking about the Holy Spirit when we build ourselves into a house of God, so we be the temple of the Holy Spirit, so that we invite Him, and that we not we be then the masters in the house, but He be the master. And so that He be owner and master of us and our body. The scriptures say, do not know that you're not your own, that your bodies are purchased by the precious blood of Christ. You are the temple of the living God. And this is when the Holy Spirit comes and we have invited him and we told him, Lord, I want you to be my master. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I want to listen to you, be led by you, be filled with you. I don't want to be filled with my own so that I not become arrogant. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises, we become partakers of God's nature. That is, our nature becomes as God's nature. As much as God has allowed, and looking at the measure of our faith, we already looked at the qualities of six of the characteristics. And if in the sixth characteristic we studied how to demonstrate brotherly love in our faith, coming from our godliness, then in the seventh characteristic we need to look at demonstrating the love of God agape, in our faith, which comes from brotherly love. 
as in its essence the love of God is the royal crown of the goodness of God or virtue of God. And considering this, we conclude that the love of God is a love that is virtuous, knowledgeable, self-controlled, it can persevere, it is godly, and has brotherly love. Because of this, we need to look at the love of God specifically within the context or in the format of its supernatural qualities called to bring us into the fullness of growth in Christ. Studying the virtues of the love of God and the given characteristics, we came to the conclusion that these are the eternally existing characteristics of God Himself, as well as all what what comes from God, because God is love. And such love coming from the inherent to God virtue is identified in Scripture as the bond of all perfection, as we read in the beginning, but above all things put on love, which is the bond of perfection which will allow the peace of God to rule within our heart. Setting the love of God, we need to consider that according to the truth of Scripture, the width, length, depth, and height of the love of God greatly surpasses the very knowledge of man, the very knowledge that man has about the nature of the love of God, which is practically not accessible for comprehension by the human mind, the regular human mind of man. It is out of the boundaries of our regular human mind. We can comprehend it with our heart. Even the renewed mind is not able to comprehend it. Only our heart is. Even though our mind is mind, renewed mind is renewed, it needs to look to the heart constantly and behave looking at the heart, not what he understands to be correct. When we invite the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> we no longer say, Lord, but I don't think this to be right. I think this will be better. That's what you will hear people say who trust in their mind. But a person with a renewed mind doesn't look at himself because even the renewed mind is not able to comprehend God's love. It is accessible to our heart. And so he looks to the heart, to his spirit, and looking at the spirit begins to demonstrate God's love within words, within actions, and within behavior, within clothing, and relationships with each other. That He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And so that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. Not in the mind, but in the inner man. That's the new person that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. Until this time, while the Holy Spirit has not come, Christ cannot dwell in our hearts. He can't live within us. We sing that Christ is in us and so forth, but the thing is, Christ will only be in our heart when the Holy Spirit will come as our Lord and Master and will live within our heart, will begin to dwell in our heart. And so, and then in the form of the Holy Spirit, Christ will then live in our heart. He will dwell in our heart. Until this time we receive the truth. As I said, until this time we lived in a house with our parents, but now we have separated. And God wants us to build a building, a house for Him. Where will you build a house for me? Where is the place of my rest? He asks because He wants that we build a house and invite Him so that He <clears throat> he ruled the house, He owned this house. 
that's what it's talking about, that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith. And this happens when the Holy Spirit comes, as we talked about, and this is when we die through the law or for the law, by the law, in the body of Christ to live for the one that died and resurrected. When we die for our nation, the house of our Father, and for our destructive way of life. And so, be, uh, so when he comes in, then we will be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that you may be rooted and grounded in love, that you may, be, may be able to comprehend. And out of the church, we are not able to comprehend. We can comprehend only in fellowship with the saints, <clears throat> in brotherly love. We may be, able to, may, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. To be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, is what it's saying. Looking at the given place, we conclude that being rooted and grounded in the love of God is placed in direct dependence of our choices to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. And so when we receive the Holy Spirit, by the means of the Holy Spirit, we are rooted in our heart. We are uh, confirmed within or established, say, inside, where it says, looking at the given place, we conclude that being rooted and grounded in in the love of God is placed in direct dependence of our choices uh, to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man as such strengthening and might in the love of God is called to be the result of being filled with the Holy Spirit as according to scripture the love of God is called to be poured out into our heart not in feeling but in the individual Holy Spirit who creates within the Eden of our heart the atmosphere of the love of God consisting of the cool of the day because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us Romans 5 5 this will be the atmosphere of the cool of the day as the Lord met with Adam in the cool of the day This uh, talks about the absence of God's wrath. Imagine God is a devouring fire, but when he communicates with his saints, they experience the cool of the day, an oasis. Just as these three uh, men were thrown into the furnace in the book of Daniel, and those, uh, those who threw them in there actually were killed by the fire themselves. But when they were in there, in the fire, they were experiencing the cool of the day, Uh, and they were walking and singing and the command of the king the the king who commanded this to happen he looked down and asked those next to him did we not throw three men in there and they said yes well why do I see a fourth person in there and he then asked the three to come out but the fourth one disappeared they came out and they began to uh, observe them and look at them, look at their bodies and their clothing, and there was no smell of fire on their clothing even. They were preserved, and he said, if such a God can keep you from fire, then anyone who will say anything against the God of these three men will be chopped into pieces and thrown into fire. And so, see how quickly the king had changed, and he no longer demanded worship <clears throat> others worshiping him. This is a symbol of our mind that wants itself to be worshipped. But when we ourselves will 
um, make our mind, not have our mind uh, want glory for itself, but obey, have our mind obey, whatever the preached word is, receive that information. <clears throat> Considering the fact that we in our time already studied the consistency of the essence of the love of God agape, which comes from brotherly love, which we are called to demonstrate in our faith, in four classical questions, which consisted of the origination and the essence of the love of God, the purpose of unearthly love within our faith, the price to be clothed into the unearthly love of God, and the result of demonstrating unearthly love in our faith. Let us remember only the fourth question, by what signs do we examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating the love of God agape in our faith coming from brotherly love. <coughs> that in essence is virtuous, is knowledgeable, is self-controlled, and godly, and so forth. First sign by which we need to examine ourselves as to whether we are demonstrating the love of God agape in our faith, coming from brotherly love, is to be done by our ability to love all that and everyone who God loves and hate all and everyone whom God hates. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates are we able to judge that we are demonstrating the love of God agape in our faith coming from brotherly love. And relevant to this, I will remind us of already familiar to us seven components of the category that God loves and seven components of the category that God hates. First sign by which we need to examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the love of God in our faith coming from brotherly love will be by the fact that we will love and be merciful to the repenting sinner just as God does. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his, of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Micah 7.18 And so we need to love the repenting sinner. You know, sometimes people, for due to specific uh, reasons, either weakness or cowardice, they fall away and leave the church, and then they come back. After a specific amount of time, a certain amount of time, they come back, they uh, come to church, they come and repent. Well, I'm not going to announce that, that to everyone when it happens. Sometimes a person leaves, and they leave maybe not because of sin, for other reasons, uh, they moved, they got married, whatever. And so, when leaving the church, they may have not been in sin, but maybe committed sins later. And so, when a person comes back, we begin to judge them based on how we knew that person previously. That means we don't have God's love that loves the repenting sinner. If a person comes to church, he doesn't just show up here accidentally. They show up here and they hear the word of God and they continue to come. We need to rejoice because the heavens are rejoicing. Because it is very important to understand that we need to love those whom God loves and God loves a repenting sinner. He does not condemn them because he has taken their guilt away, their faults. They don't need to continuously come and 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 uh, hide or behave in a way that <clears throat> that they're guilty uh, 
we need to not look at them thinking of what we knew about them previously. We need to sh demonstrate our love to them or God's love to them because this is a repenting sinner. Second sign by which we need to examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the love of God in our faith coming from brotherly love <clears throat> will be that we will love and be merciful to the fatherless uh, widow and stranger. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Deuteronomy 10.18 The symbol of the fatherless, widow and stranger is the state of your heart, where we in the death of the Lord Jesus died for the house of our father, which is why we have obtained the state of fatherlessness. Furthermore, we simultaneously die for governing sin within our body, that by the means of its rule is our husband, which is why we obtain the virtue of a widow. And finally, we die for our nation, which is why we have become free from na our nationality and have obtained the status of a stranger. This is simultaneously. That doesn't mean first we die for our nation, then for the house of our father, then for our destructive <coughs> way of life. We won't be sub submerging three times. We submerge once. And when we submerge, we immediately die for the three institutes of power that we depended on, and now we don't depend on them any longer. They depend on us. Now we become a light for our nation, the house of our Father, and a light, a lamp for ourselves. We know how to do what and where to go because we have a lamp. Our mind is renewed third sign by which we need to examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the love of God in our faith coming from brotherly love is that we will love righteousness and justice and its carriers since righteousness and justice in the form of the informational program of God is able to demonstrate itself exclusively in the carriers of the love of God coming from brotherly love he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 33, 5. When it's talking about the earth is full of the goodness of God, it's not talking just about the earth. Although it's the Lord's mercy that the trees grow and bloom, uh, the wheat grows and the uh, trees bear its fruits. Uh, this is God's mercy. But God's mercy is called to save people and not just give these things. And so when David in this psalm was praying, he loves righteousness and justice, the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord. He was talking about the body of man because the earth is our body that is made of the earth. Our body is made of the earth and God can't live in the earth that he's created. He, from the earth, creates a body. As we build from the earth our houses and then live in them, God created from the earth our bodies, not just of the earth, but from the dust of the earth. And this dust of the earth is the thinnest layer which has the living minerals in it. That's from where God, from what God had made us. We can have within ourselves all the minerals that are in the earth. And he created our body so that he can live in it. But to be able to live in it, a person needs to invite him. For he says, 
the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord in the form of mercy. And so when we receive truth, this is God's mercy. This is God's goodness. When we receive the word and we accept it, this is God's mercy for our heart or for our earth. It's God's mercy when we and God's goodness when we receive the promise of incorruption that it shall be erected within our body, within our body, and not just within our body, but that our body <coughs> will put on incorruption. <coughs> fourth, fourth sign by which we need to examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the love of God in our faith coming from brotherly love will be by the fact that we will love the holy nation that we are partakers or members of who are in God's hand and that you sit at his feet so that you can receive his words. Yes, he loves the people. All his saints are in your hand. They sit down at your feet. Everyone receives your words. Deuteronomy 33.3 And so how can you sit at his feet so that you can receive his words. God's feet are the uh, preachers. If These are those who put on their, uh, putting on their shoes so that they can uh, be a light to the world. And so feet is a symbol of direction. And so this direction has words and these words identify what who a person is, the essence of him. And so it identifies whether a person is preaching the living word or the dead word. The word is the seed, <clears throat> and any seed contains a program. And when we understand that any seed contains a program, then any any word contains a program. But for this program to work, to be able to unpackage it or to open it up, this needs to be in this case a program as you can put into a computer and it opens up this program you need to put this program in in yourself and then it's activated and begins to work and how do you turn it on that's to die by the in the death of the Lord Jesus for our nation our father's house and our soul yes he loves the people to love the nation of God not just those that are in this church, we're talking about all those who love God. And you, meeting with people, <clears throat> can determine uh, who does and doesn't. In any denomination, you'll find people who do, including false denominations, because sometimes people fall, uh, end up there, they don't know, they truly have repented, but they... Uh, got caught uh, on the hook of this uh, woman who spreads her legs at the at the gate and waits for those to pass by. But sooner or later, these people uh, will their hearts will sense or experience uh, something that God does. Uh, that what's going on is unacceptable when they would begin to jump in my situation when I was in the church and they began to hop and jump I was one of the leaders and I felt uncomfortable and he then uh, the pastor of the church called me out and asked me you're a leader 
Why are you not jumping up and down with the rest? And they then excluded this gentleman from the church. It was a gentleman I'm talking about of a church, and his wife then stopped having uh, intimate relationships with him. Uh, he uh, he didn't like the jumping and the up and down, and he didn't consider this uh, acceptable. And he then decided he needed to repent for this, and so he came out to the, in front of the church and repented, and they wanted him to demonstrate how he will jump and praise for the Lord and he tried to do this he repented in this false charismatic service he then later found out there were other churches and when he had ended up in our church he was so glad and so happy that he did not need to anymore during a praise to a jump up and down what I'm what am I trying to get at God's people can uh, be anywhere. They're spread out. Sometimes I watch uh, different services, uh, praise services uh, of Baptist church, and then I watch others as well, other denominations, and and the Quakers as well, as they call. and very different and unique ways of worship and there's uh, some uh, and so in the Quaker service that I had watched some smiled some weren't but they all uh, sing and you could see that you can sense the presence of God uh, with what they were singing and so you can find this in any kind of denomination either Orthodox Catholic Church Although there are a lot of idols in the Protestant churches, they also have a lot of idols, gifts of the Holy Spirit, anointing, uh, prophecies, all of this, God have, or people have made these things idols. They're given to serve us, but we made them idols. Instead of uh, worshiping the Holy Spirit or Christ in the Holy Spirit, we worship the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We don't say we're worshiping the gifts, but what we're seeking is what we worship. If we're seeking uh, not to be led by the Holy Spirit, but the gifts themselves, then we are worshiping the gifts. What you're seeking is what you worship. If you seek blessing and not the blesser, you see the difference. There's the one who blesses and there's the blessing itself. There's the giver and there's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. There's the one who anoints and there's anointing. If you're seeking anointing, then this is an idol. If you're seeking the one who anoints, then this is completely different. And so coming to church, I always pray, Lord, anointing is not enough for me. I want your Holy Spirit himself to be present during the service. When God said to Moses, I won't go with you. If I go with you, I will destroy this nation because they have a hard heart. But Moses said, if you will not come with us, then don't lead us out. How will I know that you are favorable toward your people? And God said, okay, because you requested this, I will come, I will go with you and lead you into the land of Canaan. It's very important that the parents, when something happens in the family with the children, that they not curse them, that they stand between them God and the children and say, Lord, 
you said according to your word that uh, me and my house will be saved. May my ch show, uh, show your mercy and may the sin that they've committed be on me. What does it mean to discipline the children properly? That's to taking the guilt of your household upon yourself. Of course, God will not ask of the sin from you, but when you take the guilt on yourself, then he in this way has access to your son or daughter. Fifth sign by which we need to examine ourselves that we are demonstrating the love of God in our faith coming from brotherly love will be by the fact that we will open the eyes of the blind we will raise the one who is bowed down or his back is bowed down and will love the righteous who walk the path of righteousness the Lord opens the eyes of the blind the Lord raises those who are bowed down the Lord loves the righteous Psalm 146 8 the way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord but he who loves him who follows righteousness Proverbs 15 9 According to these places of scripture that empower or strengthen one the other, we conclude that the love of God for the righteous who walk the righteous path is known by the fact that these people give God the legitimate grounds to open their eyes and correct their bent over back. And furthermore, we, by the example of our Lord, are called to love specifically those people that provide God with legitimate grounds to have their eyes opened and correct their back that is bent over. We need to note that people who resist the truth and pervert the truth to benefit their greed and their whims are not able to be, bl to be blind, but are preparing themselves to become blind. Otherwise, how would you be able to resist something that you don't see, don't know, or are unfamiliar with? Therefore, the eyes of such people will become blind and their back will be bowed down always. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into the world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who see may be made blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. John 9, 39-41. And so he brings uh, vision to the blind, but to the ones who see, he brings blindness. Interesting, right? A person sees, but does not fulfill, and God makes him blind then. But if a person does not see, and that's why he doesn't fulfill God's commands, God makes him, uh, give his, gives him the ability to see, opens his eyes. The blindness of the eyes that God opens symbolizes an exit from spiritual infancy where a person is not able to know the truth and to differentiate the voice of the Holy Spirit from other voices. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away child, childish things. He stopped uh, thinking as a child and understanding as a child. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, 
Paul continues this thought, but then face to face, when we leave uh, spiritual infancy, uh, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Even being in the Soviet Union, I read this place of scripture and interpreted it this way because they interpreted this place differently in other churches. And there that here in this life we see as if dimly, but when we die, we will see him as he is. And I showed them that's not written when we die, it's when we leave childish things, spiritual infancy, childish things. We see as if in dim, uh, when we're in them, where we're in the childish things, we see dimly. And then one of the uh, preachers called an Episcopal that they had, and he told them that I am preaching heresy. And this Episcopal actually came to our city and to our church and came to see me at home. He brought me all kinds of gifts and began talking to me. But before then, I I only met him once uh, for the first time and heard what kind of uh, absolute ridiculous things he was saying. Even a regular uh, member of the body would never say the things he was saying from the stage. And I told the pastor, who did, who do you allow uh, to speak on your stage here? He is... Uh, he has problems and so he and the pastor came and visited me this Episcopal and the pastor and so he asks me firstly uh, do you acknowledge that I am an Episcopal and I said no everything you said today this pastor uh, you you can't even be a regular member you should be disqualified he came to remove the heresy that he saw but he himself speaks, spoke heresies. He said things like, "There, when we, uh, when we die, uh, that there's not just a heaven and hell; that there will be people in a place called uh, a purifying area. <laughs> and from this place, where will they go after?" I asked, "Heaven or hell?" And he said, "Well, only God knows." And I, I asked him, "Where did you get this information from?" He said. It's in the teaching of the Catholics and the Orthodox uh, faith. According to scripture, there's only a hell and heaven. There's no middle uh, or other area where people go. And he was preaching about this uh, nonsense. And so being, again, uh, in childish things or understanding as a child, you see dimly uh, you don't see clearly, and this uh, infant is always uh, can be can stumble. Is attracted by various winds of, winds of doctrine. Looks at one and another preacher, likes both of them. Uh, and so I spoke with one of these kinds of gentlemen, and he, they were listening. He was listening to two different preachers. Both spoke uh, contradicting one the other. And he was agreeing with both of them. And why? Because he's an infant in Christ. He doesn't see a difference. Uh, and I asked him, are you spiritual? And he said, no, I'm, they're afraid to uh, acknowledge that they are or to think that they are. 
we are perfect in Christ. We have to remember that being perfect, we can sin and fall, not losing that perfection. Because we, if we are placed into Jesus Christ, we're perfect. God looks at us and sees us perfect in Christ. He doesn't look at, at our actions out of Christ. He looks at us in Christ. But this is not preached either. To open the eyes of the blind of those who have received their justification freely by faith in Christ Jesus is only possible by the representatives of the delegated by God fivefold service. As it is written, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the keeping of the saints for the work of ministry. And so those who have these functions, these gifts from God, that they would be able to bring the people to God uh, to perfection for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we would no longer be children, tossed to and from, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of, the, of deceitful plotting, but speaking with truth and love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 through 15. And so, this uh, infancy or this childhood exists, uh, a lot of it exists within the world. According to the revelations of Scripture, to provide God with legitimate grounds upon which to open our eyes, it is necessary to collaborate with the abilities of the truth of the cross of Christ, giving us the ability to leave spiritual infancy. And to collaborate with the abilities of the truth of the cross of Christ, it is necessary to acknowledge the authority of the preached word over ourselves in the form of the messengers of the Lord. A bowed down back is a symbol of our <clears throat> of our dependence from the law that discovers sin within our body and gives power to sin. To bring to remembrance, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your in your heart pleasure, for you for your arrows pierce me deeply and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. <clears throat> for my iniquity have gone over my head like a heavy burden that are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long. For my loins are full of inflammation, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan of the turmoil of my heart. Psalm 38, 1-8. Have you ever read for that David was sick with such terrible uh, things? No, he didn't have them. Here it's talking about the state that he experienced. This is governing sin within his body. What he was experiencing which is why he was bowed down greatly, is what he referred to. Therefore, to provide God with a legitimate foundation to restore our bowed down back, it is necessary in the death of the Lord Jesus to die through the law for the law so that we can live for the one that died and resurrected so that we can in this way become free from the law of sin and death and receive the right to the power to collaborate with the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God, and I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2, 19, 20. How can I determine that Christ lives in me, that I died for my nation, the house of my father, and my destructive life? And so upon practice, how do I know that I've died for the three? Upon practice, and I repeat this again, 
every, when we count ourselves dead to sin, living for God, and we proclaim the not-existent stronghold of incorruption in our body as existent, freedom from this governing sin within our body, at this time, Christ is it enters our heart. When I confess this, first I accept it, I say, Lord, may be according to your words. When you hear this word, you say, Lord, may be according to your word. And then this word, we are conceived by this word. And we then begin to proclaim the not existent as existent, not looking at what I'm feeling. This is upon practice, knowing that Christ lives in me. If I am able to uh, look at myself, not as looking at myself, my, myself physically, but through Jesus Christ, if I'm doing deeds uh, or commi- uh, doing specific works or acts or deeds to become righteous, what is the point then of Christ's death? If I am working, some also say that you need to work and sweat, have sweat in the face to be able to receive salvation. Uh, and so that's what they're doing. <clears throat> and so I asked him, are you being saved through sweat? Why then did, then did Jesus come? <clears throat> Your wife, she, she, she saved, yes, because she has bore many children. And so then one of these children will leave the church and their families are then beginning to break and instead of defending his children, he then tells them uh, that they will not be saved instead of standing in the breach between the child and God, saying, Lord, thank you that you've saved me with my house. And tell the children, I have dedicated you to the Lord, and I remind you that you are dedicated to the Lord. You're holy. You don't belong to the world. Sooner or later, you will return. Remember that, that I love you, and God loves you, and we wait for you. And so, the sign by which we need to examine ourselves, that we are demonstrating the love of God in our faith, coming from brotherly love, is determined by the fact that we will uh, love the gates of Zion. Psalm 87.1.2 His foundation, which is Zion, Jerusalem, is in the holy mountains. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwellings of Jacob. Psalm 87.1.2 <clears throat> There are a lot of cities, a lot of uh, tribes uh, of Jacob all throughout the lands, but God loved, He loves those too, but He loves most the gates of Zion. According to the given place, we conclude that the gates of Zion is one of many inhabitants of Jacob whom God has loved more than the rest. We conclude that the gates of Zion is entry by which God had once entered into Zion as his own home or dwelling forever. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation, and her saints shall shout aloud for joy. There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but upon himself his crown shall flourish. Psalm 132, 13-18. 
And so the gates of Zion is a symbol of the narrow gate that leads to eternal life or into the dwelling place where God abides. Jesus himself explained what the gates of Zion were. These are the narrow gate. Because through these narrow gates, he first entered through these narrow gates. He does not offer gates that he himself has not walked through. He entered into his church. She is his gate. She is the gate. And so he he wants us to find a church who has this uh, quality of the narrow gate. Then one said to Christ, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter. That is, use all energy, means, abilities, Strive to enter through the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, this door, which is the body of Christ, this is the church, the chosen church, knock at this door, saying, Lord, Lord, upon open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you, where are you from? And you will begin to say, how do you not know? We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you, where are you from? Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. What streets are you referring to that I taught you on? I only have one street, it's in the middle of Jerusalem. I don't have a lot of streets, I have one street. And if you had one street, you would not have this dreamy uh, forest of denominations. The first apostolic church, it did not have Catholics, Orthodox, Baptists, Pentecostals, Quakers, or any other. uh, And today all of these exist. And all speak of themselves that they are the ones that are saved. They are the ones that are correct. We are the ones that glorify correctly. The Orthodox say we are the ones that correctly worship. And Catholics say, well, no, we do because the all, uh, all the mutual faith. And so all say, uh, the Pentecostals say, no, well, we have the Holy Spirit. We speak in tongues. You don't uh, to the Baptists. And so. Baptists say, well, no, anyone who believes in the Lord is saved. And and they're the ones who say, what right do you have to speak of the Holy Spirit? A Pentecostal pastor asked me, are you Baptist? I said, yes. And he said, what right do you have to speak of the Holy Spirit if you're Baptist? And I asked him, are you Pentecostal? And I told him, how did you dare become a, a, Pente- a Pentecostal? of the Pentecostal faith without being a Baptist. A Baptist is making a covenant with God, being submerged in water. And he said, I was baptized in water. And I told him, well, then you're a Baptist. Why is it you're complaining that I'm a Baptist and speak about the Holy Spirit? And so people don't even understand. They enter these denominations, but they don't realize their denomination, what it means. I'm not against uh, Pentecostals or or Baptists, I'm against the denomination itself, saying only we are right, or in every nation who love him, uh, when the disciples 
found people who are walking around and preaching the name of Jesus. And so the disciples, they met these people, and then they came to Christ and say, Lord, we found people who speak preaching your name. And so he then said, anyone who preaches in my name can't be against me. The disciples did not yet know what was going on. If you can imagine an army of the Lord, it doesn't consist only of one battalion or the army uh, itself. It has dif- there are different ranks, there are different uh, levels, there are different uh, categories. Uh, And so there was uh, those that were led by Apostle Paul, others by Apostle Peter, others by Apostle James. And so when people began to say, well, I I belong to Peter or to this teaching or I belong to Paul and his teaching, Paul said, listen, what are you talking about? We are just servants. We are just the servants. You don't need to say that I belong to this, you need to understand that we are just the servants. And so there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourself thrust out. They will come from the east and west, from the north and south, and sit down in the kingdom of God. And so that they will come from east, west, north, and south. It's talking about the teaching of Christ that is in the east, west, north, and south. So we understand what it's referring to, where these people will come from. It's not that on earth they'll come from these, from, in in the spiritual world there's also east, west, north, and south, and when we studied the temple, and we will continue to study the uh, layout of the temple, what is uh, in the east or west, north, and south of the temple, and so people who will come from the north, they will have the west and east in themselves also it won't be and they it says that they will come and sit down in the kingdom of god these four rivers that uh water the garden of eden and they will be with me luke 13 27 through 29 considering the given metaphor the gates of zion in the form of the narrow gate that god has loved is the body of christ or the chosen by god remnant whose head is christ to love the living gates of Zion in the form of the narrow gate more than the remaining inhabitants of Jacob, it is necessary to be an organic member of these living gates, which identify the abiding of Christ in us and are abiding within Christ. Because once the master of the house rises up and shuts the door of Zion in the form of the narrow gate, as in his time he had shut the doors of the ark of Noah, and then all those who are not partakers of the gates of Zion, but still considering themselves Zion, similar to the people who were around Noah, will be driven out of the boundaries of Zion and be trampled upon by Zion. Therefore, to examine ourselves as to whether we are partakers in Zion and its gate, we need to answer the question, what is the symbol of the holy mountains that are the foundation of Zion? First, the symbol of the holy mountains, which are the foundation of Zion, is the righteousness of God, identified as the elementary teaching of Christ and the good destinies of the sons and daughters of Zion, identified as the promises of God. 
when it's talking about mountains, uh, this is God's righteousness, God's promises, and we ourselves can be these mountains of God as well. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. Psalm 36, 6. The symbol of the holy mountains, which are the foundation of Zion, is a chosen by God remnant that settles in its location that is allocated for it by God. Though you lie down among the sheepfold, you will be like the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. When the Almighty scattered kings in it, it was white as snow in Zalmon. A mountain of God is the mountain of Bashan. A mountain of many peaks, it is the mountain of Bashan. Why do you fume with envy, you mountains of many peaks? This is the mountain which God desires to dwell in. Yes, the Lord will dwell in it forever. It is necessary to examine the foundation of the confessed by us faith teaching, giving us the ability to settle or lie down in our place. If our wings are not covered with the silver of justification that is obtained from the turning of our salvation so we can profit, and our feather with pure gold cleansed from foreign inclusions of the flesh, then we will not have any legitimate foundation to love the gates of Zion, and furthermore, peace that we relied upon within our heart and that we confessed with our mouth will turn out to be nothing more than idle words and as the disquieted sea that throws up mire and dirt. Amen. Let us bend our knees and our heads and pray, and we will thank the Lord for the words we were able to receive today. And if this word somehow touched you and you've seen in yourself, you can come out on the, come out to the altar to repent so that you can be cleansed or be healed or be restored, restore your strength. You don't just come out to the altar for repentance, but also to restore your strength in God, to be warmed after that cold that we have been in, in the midst of sin and lawlessness, anger that may also surround us. May the Lord bless us in this prayer. We wait for you. I will be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that in what God says what God says and what you hear that God loves you not how you are but how he sees you in Jesus 
He sees your pain and wants to heal that pain. He wants to free you from the chains of sin. He wants to heal you from physical illnesses, to clothe your body into His resurrection. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. This is a sign that your hands are without wrath or doubt. Pray together with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. You see my pain, my suffering from my own personal sins, lusts, and passions that I hate. I pray, cleanse me, forgive me, wash me, free me from the old person with his deeds. I love your holiness. I love your law. I love your nation. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May He look upon you with His great face. May He bless you. May He show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessing of the ancient mountains and that contain in themselves all of the promises of God and the everlasting hills that contain the covenant you have with God. May this be upon you and be fulfilled upon you and your children and the whole nation shall say, Amen. May the Lord do His work with each one of us. What we've heard right now and what we have accepted into our heart. May He establish this and confirm this for us and make us immovable. May He open up His promises and make us uh, candidates for the morning star. Carry this in yourself. Don't look at your feelings. Thank God that you are free from sin and treat one another not looking at what you feel but what you need to do as holy children of God and the peace of God will be with you and you will see your enemy under your feet and you will absolutely be free from your old man that time will come I am free from the old man and you will too he will not have pressure on you or apply pressure on you although he's in you he will be in a prison until the week of Daniel begins and in the beginning or the start of this week our enemy our old man will be thrusted out into hell from the prison that he's in and the stronghold of incorruption will rise and clothe their bodies let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior who alone is wise 
be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.